Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, first, I just want to say Happy Mother's Day to all our moms here. And, um, and I also, along with that, I just want to take a moment, you know, Mother's Day is a great time to celebrate, but also um, it can bring up a lot of things in our lives that um, can be difficult or disappointing um, or have a tinge of pain to them sometimes more. Uh, because relationships in life uh, can be difficult, and sometimes our hopes and dreams are tied into certain things that we're waiting for or haven't happened for us or whatever it might be. Uh, so before we move into our sermon, we're going to have a moment to recognize all the moms here later in the service and a reception afterwards. But I thought I'd take a moment and let us have a moment of silence for those of you that Mother's Day isn't so simple. And uh, it would be just nice to take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit into that so that you can experience the presence of God with you. Um, What I'm going to do is read a psalm, and you might notice I'm reading off my phone. Um, This is on the Mosaic app, which you can actually get for yourself if you want. It has a Bible app in there, and it's Mosaic uh, Community Church, Pennsylvania, if you search under uh, wherever you buy your apps for your phones. But I just want to read a passage, and let's just have a moment of silence. Maybe we close our eyes. I think this can be a powerful psalm for anyone. But particularly if this is a a tough day for you, um, let's meditate for a moment. Let's let these words wash over you. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you, behold, are there. If I take the wings on the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Amen. Well, today... You know, I've done a little public speaking in my life over the years. Uh, also, I have uh, actually taken some communications classes back in the day when I was in school. And probably one of the cardinal rules of public speaking is don't start with a downer. So I'm going to start with a downer today. Right here at the beginning of the sermon, um, You might know if you are here last week, but we're starting a four-week series where I'm encouraging everyone, myself included, uh, to take some risks, to be open about our whole selves with our friends. 
And the hope is that as we take some risks, as we are open about who we are, even in vulnerable ways, particularly in the areas of faith and what significance that plays in our lives, that that vulnerability will lead to a depth in relationships that we couldn't have if we hid part of ourselves or edited parts of our lives out. And that's true in our community, and it's, a, and it's true in our relationships outside of this community too. So really what I'm doing is picking up on a theme that's come up several times, probably the last two or three years in lots of sermons. And this series, we're going to dive in and look at it more specifically, not just as a side point here, a side point there, but as a theme, because it seems to me significant to who we are as a community and to the possibility of having deep, enriching, life-giving friendships and relationships. So last week, I encourage you, share your whole selves with the people around you in your lives. Next week, I'm going to talk about what is your story, because that seems to be the thing. What is your story? What's happening right now in your life? That's the thing that you can share with someone that can build trust. But this week, we're going to talk about what is the story? What's the bigger story? Or particularly in this context, what is the story of Jesus that hopefully our story connects to and builds with? and follows along. What's the story, if you will? So what is the good news? Because in church circles, often this is referred to as the good news of Jesus. So what's the good news? So this week, and here's my little downer, um, I decided, well, I'll just go online, I'll Google the good news of Jesus, and see what cool stories I could hear, see what fun things would pop up, because it's about good news, right? So that should be good. Well, I stumbled along this little debate between different bloggers, under the heading of the good news of Jesus, that was basically about, when do you tell people the bad news? So I'm Googling good news, and I see this debate among Christians about when to tell people the bad news. It's like, what do you mean? Well, on one side, there is a a group of people, at least some bloggers, I don't know how many people there I represent, and their whole thing, they make a big deal. Look, you got to tell people the bad news first. If you don't tell them the bad news They will not appreciate the good news when they hear it. They need the contrast. They need to look at them together. So hit them with the bad news and slide the good in afterwards. Okay, that's one perspective. Then I read this other article. It's like, no, no, no. Can't start with the bad news. Can't start with the bad news because right now, Christians have such a, this is what I was reading, this happened two or three articles, have such a bad reputation that we can't start with bad news. And two or three articles in a row quoted a book that I used to quote here um, called Unchristian that talks about um, when given a chance, people don't go to church. When they pick adjectives to describe Christians, the top three are anti-gay, judgmental, and hypocritical, all hitting in at 90%, roughly. So they're like, look, nobody likes us, so we can't start with the bad news. Let's start with the good news and slide the bad in later. So I was like, wow, are these our options? And it occurs to me, I think these are awesome people. I'm sure they have lovely lives and they're great people, but I feel like they're missing the story. Like, we've all read the story. And when I read the story, it's all good news. There's no bad news for anyone. There's no, when am I going to slip the bad stuff in with Jesus? So I wonder, is, how about a sermon today about the good news and just the good news? Not pretending that everything is easy or perfect, but that in the end it's all good news. Would you be up for that today? Yeah, yeah on Mother's Day some good news, yeah? I don't want to be a downer on Mother's Day. So 
That's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to look at a passage that I think points to that. And here's, here's the thing before I get into this. I think this is important on a lot of levels, but for this series in particular, because I think that we are hungry for good news. I was in a deep moment of reflection thinking about how much I loved the last Star Wars movie that just came out. The Lord spoke to me, the heavens opened, and I was like, wow, I really enjoyed this movie. But I, I was wondering this week, why did I like it so much? And I loved the first three movies, too. You know, the four, five, and six, the actual first three movies. Um, and it struck me, I love those movies because they're good news. Like, you know it's going to work out. Even before you knew how it worked out, when you saw them, even when there was the first three movies, there's this cliffhanger called Empire Strikes Back in the middle. You knew it was going to work out. It was fun. It was encouraging. This new movie, you know, it, it works out. And spoiler alert, it has a, you know, it goes somewhere in the end. And it's just, I love it. It's fun. And I thought, well, then there were those three movies in the middle, the prequels. And most people, if you don't know, tend not to like those movies very much. There's a lot of bitterness on the interweb about the prequels, right? And there's probably a lot of good reasons for that. Isn't this why you come to church? You want to hear all this deep? There's probably a lot of good reasons for that, and I know there are, but one occurred to me this week that I hadn't thought about before. The prequels are basically bad news. You get to see for six hours over three films how everything gets terrible and sets up the fun movies, right? It's bad news. You know, I wonder if part of the problem we have with being open about who we are in our whole lives, including faith in our lives, is that part of us thinks at some point we got to slip in the bad news. And if that's true, who wants to be open about who they are? If that's what the good news of Jesus is, no wonder we wouldn't want to talk about it more. I wonder, it seems like an even bigger risk to share that part of our lives. But as you might guess, that's not where we're going today. I'm inspired by a book by um, Philip Yancey, he wrote, and he points out that he thinks two people, or two things, there are two things that people are generally looking for and instinctively seeking out. And one, he says, he thinks we long uh, for meaning or a sense of purpose that our life somehow makes a difference to the world around us. And the other is to know that we're loved, that we have value. And these two things, I think, are the essence of the Jesus story. And so let's look at this. Romans 1, 16 to 17. I'm going to try and put the good back in good news. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel is another way to say good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that's by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. So how can we put the good back in good news? Well, the first thing I want to suggest is that when we hear the story, we hear a different sound. And the question that would go with that, to hear the different sound, is what if, just imagine, what if the news is all good. What if it is? You'll notice that the first thing that Paul does writing in this little passage is he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news. That's an interesting thing for him to say because Paul has gotten into a lot of trouble over the years because of the story of Jesus. 
At another point, he writes a letter and says this, five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. All for the good news. And all of these hardships and the ones that come, you know, it's likely when Paul wrote this, he wrote it when he was in jail. because of the good news. Yet he's not embarrassed by the gospel at all. After all he's been through, after all his humiliations, all his dangers, the good news to him was really good news. Now, a few of us, I think, face any sort of types of pressures that Paul has. We face real pressures that shouldn't be taken lightly. But compared to Paul's, they're, they're a little more you know, ordinary, I guess would be this way to put it. Yet I also feel like, we talked about this last week, that as Christians, uh, sometimes maybe we're a little a timid <laughs> to be found out that we're people of faith, maybe even a little ashamed. I think about the current political season that we are in. I'm not going to dive into any candidates. It's not what I'm here for. But think about the different ways that faith is or has been used in the last six months to get votes. Now, when you see those examples of what faith is, of how it's used, do you, are you tempted to sort of puff up your chest and think, yes? Or are you tempted to sort of shrink back a little bit? Or think of it this way. When you see those folks speaking in those ways, do you think, yes, that's me? Or do you think, no, that is not me? And when that's the image that's out there, it's natural to pull back a little bit, to be timid about sharing our whole lives with people. But the thing we're looking at today is that this story of Jesus, it's actually all good news. It's bigger than our mistakes. It's bigger than the mistakes of the people around us. It's bigger than the mistakes of people in the news who are labeled Christians. It's bigger than any politician looking for votes. It's so big that it's the thing, actually, that I think we saw Yancey saying, this is what people want. This is the thing. It's what we're thirsting for. And the good news is that in Jesus, something has happened that settles the question of God's love. And that invites us into a purpose, into a mission that God is about. And this thing that happened is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Yancey said we're all looking for a sense of being loved. Well, the gospel, the good news addresses this. Mark Rudlin uh, wrote an article, and he whimsically, I'll say, recalls a survey in which Americans were asked, What words would they most like to hear? And there were top three. First, the number one thing people wanted to hear was, I love you. The second was, I forgive you. And the third was, supper's ready. (laughs) True story. But isn't it funny that these three things that Americans most want to hear are a pretty good summary of the gospel story. We're loved by God forgiven by God, and invited to the banquet table. 
It's good news. And the sacrifice of Jesus proves how committed God is to these three things. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that he has the power to pull it off. That's good news. Yancey also said we're looking and longing for meaning. And the gospel, the good news, addresses this longing as well. You see, the event of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, also was the beginning of a process of renewal of everything. So you guys know the, this verse. They used to, people used to make it and put it on big poster boards, and then when people would kick field goals in football games, they'd hold it up. You remember this? John 3.16. It's famous. It's, it says, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, right? Well, the next verse is really interesting. John 3.17. Um, and I loved Eugene Peterson's sort of paraphrase of the verse. The, what comes right after this, that is this. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The renewal of everything, moving forward, growing, developing, renewing, redeeming. The gospel invites us into this process to have a role, a part to play in that mission. And that becomes ours as we accept the invitation to follow Jesus. That's good news. And my thought here is that we need to not just know this, but somehow experience this internally, like it to be real on the inside of who we are. This is the sound we need to hear. The love of God, the mission available to us, proven and made possible through what Jesus did. That's the good news. Hear that sound. Welcome that sound. Ask God, is that true? Meditate on it. Ask him to make it real. And look for signs. You know, one of the things we're encouraging people is tell your story. Look at your life. And this can be difficult because you can see a lot of pain. You can see a lot of disappointment. But ask God, where are you? Can I just see one small way where you're active in the middle of this mess, if it's a mess? And we said last week that the negative things in our life stick to us like Velcro. We don't have to think about them at all. But positive things in your life, you, it's been scientifically proven apparently You actually have to take 15 seconds to dwell on them or you lose them. The smile of your baby, boy, or girl. 15 seconds or it's gone. The praise you get at work. The fact that you graduated. Whatever it might be. We have to like work to take those things in. Our souls are like Teflon for the good and Velcro for the bad. Take it in. Work on it. Because when we do, we can have a different experience of life. Yancey put it this way. He said, the gospel is truly good news. Like an iPod listener dancing in a subway station full of glum commuters, a Christian hears a different sound, a joy and laughter on the other side of pain and death. A different sound. Full disclosure, I showed this clip I'm about to show you like a year and a half, two years ago. So normally I don't like to repeat, but I just couldn't find a better example of what hearing a different sound might look like. So if you remember it, 
Cheers, I hope you liked it the first time. <laughs> but here we go. All right, all right, all right, all right. We don't need verse two. We don't need verse two. So that guy is in a room. Everyone's hearing the same music, right? He's hearing a different song. And when he connects to it, things change. When it becomes internalized, maybe I'm putting too much into this. But my point is, look, when it's real, um, shame just goes away. That guy had no shame, did he? I mean, he was just going for it with that song. And that's what the difference of the good news becoming real and good and all good, not just good, and then we're going to slide in some tidbits of bad, does when it becomes real. And it's funny how shame can just melt away. And Paul can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel even though I'm in jail. I'm not ashamed of the gospel even though I floated in the open water because of the gospel for a day and a night. Can you imagine? This is what we're talking about. It's different for everyone. There's no magic formula to make it real for you. But if you can tap into this, if you can welcome this into your life, if you can take the opportunities you have to ask for this, to wait for this, to listen for a different sound, to take the 15 seconds and let it enter you, it's funny how more vulnerable and open we can be with people when we're in touch with this good news. Now, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all good stuff. But seriously, when are you, Brad? When's the point in the sermon when we get to, yeah, but okay, so there is some bad news. And then you're going to hit it with us. Hit, it, hit us with it. You know, stuff about sacrifice, um, stuff you can't do anymore if you follow Jesus. You know, the fine print, right? Now, this question actually troubles me, as if there's like some sort of cosmic bait and switch happening in the good news of Jesus. Like, warm fuzzies up front, get people in, uh, give them a sense of love and acceptance, and then control them with how they live and what they can do and what they can't do, who's in and who's out only to give the joy and then suck it away. (laughs) 
once it gets real. Now, if you're concerned about that, here's what I'd like to suggest. One, not only that we hear a different song, but that we play a different tune. The question is, what if there is no fine print? Seriously, what if there's no fine print? What if this is good news after all? Now, consider this. We just read a passage that communicates that this is good news. And if you'll notice, it says that it's connected to something. So Paul writes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's connected to this belief or this, this faith. So there's an immediate connection between the gospel, salvation, and faith, those who believe, right? But he continues to make this point even clearer. He says in verse 17, For the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. So it's faith from first to last. So not just faith in the beginning, warm fuzzies, good feelings, good message. Not just faith then, but faith in the middle. So we still got faith. Faith near the end. Faith in the end, from faith to faith. So the good news is that because of what Jesus has done, we can follow him. We can have acceptance and purpose like we've been talking about. But the following is built on faith or the trust of God. Faith is trust from beginning to end with no fine print. And this is a different tune because faith demands that we believe that this is actually good news. That we believe that God is good, all good. Not good with a slice of bad for dessert, but good all the way through. There's this quote from Ignatius of Loyola. I love it. Um, He defines sin in this way. He said, sin is refusing to believe that God wants my happiness and fulfillment. And that perspective means a whole lot to us here. It means so much. There, I think there's, if you've been around a little bit, you may have noticed this. There's two key perspectives along this vein in our church about good news and what is good news. First, good news is that God is what we really need, and he can deliver what we need, and he can deliver. He can pay off. He comes through. You know, the supposed bad news is that you can't do certain things if you want to follow Jesus, Right? So those things are usually connected to things like sex, ambition, money, right? And if you do those certain things, then you're bad and God's mad at you. No matter how good the warm fuzzies were in the beginning, that's the bad news, right? That's not our tune. Our tune is that there are lots of things in the world that we look to to provide a sense of meaning, to answer those questions of, am I loved? Do I have purpose, right? We look to lots of those things. And most of them aren't bad things. They can actually be helpful. The the difference is they can't provide the thing we want them to provide. They they don't pay off in the end. So your career is likely a good thing. Can't make you happy. Your family, a good thing, isn't enough to make you happy. Sex, beauty, eventually can't deliver. And the thing is about that, when they become the center of your life, when your hope is in them, and they're not delivering, eventually they drive you. So it's not good enough to be good looking. 
As you start to get old, you have to, I don't know, it's not paying off, right? Whatever your job, you have to get a promotion before you'll be happy. Then you need the next one. You don't have enough money. You got to have more money in your bank account. Whatever you put in the middle eventually drives you to make unhealthy decisions because although it could be a good thing, it can't be the thing. You see the difference? The gospel is that he is what we need and he can deliver the acceptance and purpose that we need. Second thing, key perspective. What is good news? Good news is that God is good and has our best interests in mind. In other words, he shows us how to live. He leads us in unconventional paths He asks us to try something that seems like a paradox because it's actually good for us. It'll be a benefit to us. He's trying to bless us. He's good, not trying to control us. The analogy that has worked so well for us in our church and been so powerful is the way that God in Scripture is often described as the great physician. So many of us, we... We kind of want to relate to God as a boss. So if we do the right things, he'll pay us more money. (laughs) He'll promote us. He'll give us what we want. God doesn't want to be your boss. It's not that he doesn't have authority, but he has authority in some senses the way a, a great doctor or the great physician would have authority in that he knows what makes you work. He knows how your body, your mind, your soul tick, and he knows what you need and what you would need to do to experience those things. So he gives commands in the same way a great doctor gives you commands or prescriptions because they'll help you. They'll feed you. They'll help you grow, become healthier and healthier and healthier. Doctors, I don't think in general, certainly want to manipulate you. They want you to be healthy. If you're pregnant, they want your baby to be healthy. So they tell you to not smoke cigarettes, right? It's not that they want to see if they can get you not to smoke cigarettes. And so his commands, his challenges are doctor's orders. They can be challenging. They can be things we don't want to do. How many of you have been told by a doctor to do something you don't want to do? Anyone? So there you go. But they may demand change. But they aren't bad news. It can feel like bad news that I can't eat fried chicken five to seven days a week because I love fried chicken. People, have you not learned that? Do you not know me? I love fried chicken. Every time it's my birthday, Becca, please make me fried chicken. It's my favorite. It's so simple, but so good. Doctor, if you know, I don't eat it six days a week, but if I did and the doctor told me not to, it could feel like I was losing something. But actually, if, if I stopped eating fried chicken six days a week, I'd probably feel a little bit better. I'd probably be able to walk and run a little farther. I'd probably live longer. I'd probably be happier. It's not bad news. Paths to health and life. I love, if you've been here, you've heard this, this scripture before. Mark 2, 17 says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the tune that we can sing that is so different is faith. 
from beginning to end, all of these things ask us to trust God. From faith to faith to faith to faith. Always believing this is good news. This is good news. This is good news. Even when we're making sacrifices. I'm not saying there's no sacrifices. I'm not saying there's no difficult things. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't say pick up your cross and follow me. What I'm saying is picking up your cross somehow is to your benefit. It's just it's hard to see. It takes faith. This is not a soft sell on what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, it's all happy, happy, joy, joy. It's not that. It's just saying, look, all those things are actually good news. If God is a great physician, and if he's a great physician, it's a question of faith that's put for us as we make decisions in our lives. It's not fine print. It's right in our faces, from faith to faith, from first to last. That's what the passage said today. So the tune that we can sing that's different is faith. Trust that God is good from first to last. And this, I think, allows us to do one more thing, and that is to dance a different dance. We saw a different kind of dance, didn't we, today? But here's the question. What if the good news is good news for everyone? Everyone. In this passage, Paul writes, It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And the emphasis, I think, is on everyone. This dance is the dance of living like this is good news for everyone. And you know, it says this little quirky thing here. I don't know if quirky is the right word, but it says, well, for everyone who believes. So everyone who has faith who believes. Because that's the choice put before us again and again. And so for everyone, I think that means this. If you know people who are happy, whether or not they have the same faith that you do, that let them be. Your job is not to tell happy people that they're not happy. To hit them with the quote-unquote bad news. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And trying to convince people that they're sick when they don't think they're sick is bad news. That's not what we're being asked to do. Don't waste your time trying to do that. Instead, let me suggest an alternative. I think this can be really helpful. Be on the mend and let people know what's making you better. What I'm saying is admit your own sickness, the problems you have in your life. Don't beat yourself up. There's no point in that. Just be honest. This whole series is about sharing your whole life with people. If you have a friend, you have a certain level of relationship, don't pretend. Be honest about your growth points and how Jesus and your faith in him is helping you through it. And at some point, here's the thing, at some point, everyone is sick and needs a doctor. Let's let people know our stories without being ashamed and without editing out Jesus. And if they are, if, you know, he came to call the sick, not the righteous. When they have need and they know your story, maybe you can help them. But it's good news. And it's good news for everyone. And people aren't turned off by people who are on the same boat with them who have problems. 
but they are interested in things that will help them grow, that will help them heal, that will bring reassurance of their worth to be loved, and that will lead to meaning in their lives. And not being ashamed is just telling our stories our whole lives, our whole stories, including the faith, from faith to faith. Amen. All right, if you're on the worship team, if you could go ahead and make your way forward. Um, One of the things we want to do in this series is give people an opportunity to look at their own lives, notice where God's at work, and share those things, right? This is something that we want to see become a part of our DNA uh, so that in our lives together, we are talking about what God's doing in our lives. And it's not, it's more natural. It just happens because we're used to it. And in all walks of life, we're able to share our whole selves. So um, I've been recruiting certain people uh, to tell the story of what God's doing in their lives. Some of these stories might blow your mind. Some of them might be super simple. And that's part of the point. Um, so I'd like to invite Kenny up. Where are you? Oh, you're right there. I was like, I don't see Kenny. This is Kenny Wan. And, uh, well, Kenny, I'll just let you take it away. So, what has God been doing in my life? Well, um, I'll be honest with you, uh, most of the time, you know, I'm not really sure. (laughs) I don't know what God's doing in my life sometimes, and... um, what I see is, I see a lot of time what's in front of me, the present moment, uh, sometimes with a bit, you know, of complaining, actually sometimes a lot, um, but oftentimes I don't see how things are going to work out. Um, but the funny, the funny thing about trying to figure out God is that you really can't. Um, you, you think God is doing a certain thing in your life, and it turns out to be something completely different, um, and what he's doing now might not be realized until like a few years later. Um, and then kind of reflecting back on it, then you're like, ah, okay, that's what God was doing. Um, so, but what I believe is that, you know, I, I get bits of information daily, and, and if I pay attention, uh, kind of just follow the crumb trail of where it's going and walking out in faith, uh, that it'll eventually lead me to the bigger picture of what God's, what's going on, what God is doing. Um, it really keeps me just in this place of faith and, you know, trusting in God and being humbled by that, um, but so here, but this is one thing that I feel like God has been doing, um, and you know I feel like I'm just like kind of like that bit of crumb that uh, I'm following right now. Um, so I'll just share it with you guys. And uh, so right now I feel like God's really just speaking to me about some exciting things here at the church. Um, a few weeks ago I had a dream, and uh, one of those dreams that you wake up from that's kind of jarring to your spirit and. Um, you kind of tend not to forget it. So in, in the dream, I, I saw like just stacks and rows of, of like sacrifice and things laid down for God uh, in this huge place. Um, it looked like they'd been sitting there for years and it just observed somebody just like coming up to that place and um, putting a bag down. I, I looked at the bag and I saw like newspapers, magazine clippings and uh, it was messy and almost like a just like a heap of trash, like everything just like looked very trashy, uh, and it, it was just put there. And now, if that dream ended there, it would be pretty discouraging. Um, but thankfully, it didn't end there. Um, you know, after that, that part of the dream, I, I saw uh, the scene was what actually looked similar to this church. 
Um, I saw the right section of the church where you guys are at right now. Um, just people were just folding up chairs and making room to move about. Um, and I saw what looked like the prayer alcove, which you know was being torn down, rebuilt, and seating was really being added. Um, I saw a pretty large stage on that right side, uh, on that side of the uh, prayer alcove. Um, and there was a band, a worship band, and they were worshiping. And then the last thing I saw was just like this gold placard that said, Spirit Anointed Worship. It was very clear. Uh, and then the dream ended. And usually I don't see any words that stand out in my dreams, but that's, this time I did. And now, I'm, I'm not the best dream interpreter and kind of just learned that there's a lot of different parts of a dream, a lot of symbolism. Um, so I mold on this for weeks and just try and figure out what's going on, if it's for me or for the church. And um, so, yeah, so last week, actually, last week's worship brought that into attention. Um, I don't know if it's the powerful baptism or uh, experience or just um, just the awesome worship, but uh, I, I really felt strongly the presence of God here, and I saw that a lot of people were moving about too, so I don't know if you felt the same way, but I hope you do. Um, but definitely, uh, I felt God, God with us. Uh, what comes to mind from this dream is John 4, uh, 23 to 24. Um, but a time is coming in that, and, and has come now that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, uh, for the Father is seeking uh, such as these to worship him. And God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, so that comes to mind, and, uh, and certain parts of the dream came to mind too, just like the seats being moved in the dream, and uh, maybe we're making more space for the Holy Spirit to move. Uh, maybe the walls being torn down and rebuilt has to do with our hearts. Maybe it literally means that the church is growing. I'm not sure. Um, but I know many of us have prayed for this as well. Um, but what I'm sure is that that plaque, you know, it said Spirit Anointed Worship. I can't really deny what it says. Um, so I'm just, you know, kind of in faith, just wondering if, uh, you know, as we worship today in spirit, that maybe uh, let's take a, you know, step of faith and, Lift all those things up that maybe we've been trying to give to God um, but never made it through or prayers that weren't answered to, uh, you know, during worship that we could really worship one in spirit and give that to him. Um, And I'm also reminded of my favorite uh, song um, from one of my favorite artists, Kim Walker Smith, and the song Fill Me Up. The verse says, you provide the fire and I'll provide the sacrifice. Uh, You provide your spirit and I'll open up inside. Um, so I'm really just excited, you know, to see what God is doing um, in my life and also here at the church. So, and just helping me share, you know, I guess, be, to be an encouragement to people and uh, just what he's doing here, too. So that's what I got. Thanks, Kenny.